Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. 70 degrees outside. Absolutely outstanding. Hey, coming up in about 30 minutes, I want to talk about the absolute insanity of Major League Baseball and their kowtowing to the woke woke culture. There's a really interesting opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal today. And if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to it. The headline is Rob Manfred's All-Star Error. The commissioner politicized baseball over a law he likely had not examined. What makes this particularly interesting is it's written by former Major League Com- Commissioner of Baseball, Faye Vincent. And um, it's a good starting point for our discussion. Um, interestingly enough, Rob Manfred, he's uh, he's a member of Augusta National Golf Course, which is arguably the most exclusive golf course in the country. That's where they play the Masters. Um, my question is, is Manfred going to be going to the Masters tournament this year? Is Manfred going to be resigning his membership at Augusta? Just, just asking over objections to the Georgia law. And by the way, in many respects, we've moved the All-Star game to Colorado. You know, the laws in Colorado are in some cases much more restrictive than the laws in Georgia. See, this is what happens when you get uh, people who should be concerned with trying to promote a particular sport who try to decide and dabble in politics and can't then without understanding the full implications of their knee-jerk move. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit. At 1 o'clock, we will be dipping into the Barry Alvarez retirement uh, news conference. Then I want to have an interesting discussion, what I think will be an interesting discussion after that, just using Barry Alvarez's apparent decision to retire as a larger uh, jumping-off point. But we start off with three words that I was never familiar with until Sunday, that I now, unfortunately, am familiar with. And my guess is, if you do not know these three words, you will be familiar with them sometime in the next few years. Those words, auto, idle, stop. Auto, idle, stop. Okay, so here, here's the deal. I uh, In January, I, I bought, I purchased a, a new car, purchased a 2020 Honda CR-V. Uh, and I, I, that's my last two cars. One was a 2017, one was a 2018 Honda CR-V. Looked at a bunch of different cars, but, you know, I, I like the Hondas. I, I, I like them. I'm comfortable with them. Got a good deal because I bought a 2020 instead of a 2021. So it, it all worked out well. So I, I've had it since again, mid to late January, and I, I only have about 1,500 miles on it. And I've, it seems to me I've never driven it when it was particularly warm. So th- this, this has not kicked in. So Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, going to church. On my way back from church, I come up to a stop sign, stop light, put my foot on the brake, and all of a sudden the engine stops. And this light comes on in the dashboard. And I'm thinking, oh, what's going on now? It's Easter Sunday. You know, my, my wife is in Florida. <laughs> the car has just stopped. Then I take my foot off the, the brake, and the light goes off, and the engine starts again. Now, maybe a lot of you are familiar with this, but 
I, I was was not because it turns out that starting in 2019 on most if not all of the Honda models they put in this feature called auto idle stop which is also found on many cars what this does is when you come to a stoplight or a stop sign or whatever and you depress the brake for at least in the Hondas for two seconds it shuts off the engine and then when you take your foot off the brake it, it restarts the engine again they do this I guess theoretically to to save gas the estimates are that um, in heavy driving you can save up to eight percent get an extra eight percent gas mileage the mechanics say in the real world it's actually closer to three percent it's almost negligible but what happens is the automakers who are desperate to comply with EPA guidelines they they are putting this in all the, these cars because it, it helps them claim greater gas mileage in addition in order to do this, to be able to claim this stuff with the EPA, what you have to do is you have to make this feature what they call latched, which means that people can't permanently shut it off. For example, on my car, and I'm finding this out as I'm reading stuff in the user's manual, there's a button on the console. I can push the button to disable this feature, but it doesn't permanently disable it. It only disables it until I shut off the car. Once I restart the car, this feature comes back on, and I have to push the button again to to disable this. And I, I since I, I found this out, and I understand it's it's a bit of an inconvenience to have to push it. There are a number of vehicles that have come out with this over the last couple of years that do not have you can't disable them at all. Now, for example, I have a friend who has a Chevy Blazer. Up until the 2020 year model, you you couldn't disable this thing. So every time you come to a a stop sign, any time you come to a stoplight, any time you are in heavy traffic and you essentially brake, like stop and go traffic to stop the car, it start it then shuts off the engine, and then at least in my car, there's a little bit of a lurch, and then it it starts again. I found it to be incredibly annoying. What was even more aggravating, though, is you, you can't permanently disable this thing. On top of that, I understand that there might be some negligible gas mileage improvement, but the flip side of it, and we're not going to know for a few years, this can't be good for the cars. I mean, you've got like the starter, which normally, you know, maybe you get, I think I was reading this, that typically in the life of a car, you start a car 50,000 times. Well, I was checking it out this morning as I was driving in. There would have been, in my trip from my house up to vote and then back to WTMJ, this, if I had had this engaged, it would have stopped and started the car probably at least five different times when I'm at red lights or stoplights or, or whatever. And so instead of just having to start the car once, it would have used the starter five, six times, whatever. So I'm thinking, you know, as far as how long the starter is going to last, what it's doing to the battery, it, it can't be good. But on top of that, I, I just don't like the feature. And I especially don't like the government essentially saying that you can't just permanently disable this feature, unlike other things. Like in my car, I like a lot of the bells and whistles that you have on some of the newer vehicles, including, for example, they've got one in my car. This is this lane deviation that if you start to swerve outside of a lane, it, it activates. I don't like that. So I just I push a button, it's disabled. It's not a problem. If I want to put it back on, I push the button and bring it back on. But because of government regulations, 
you you can't just push the button and leave it off. You have to get into the routine, I guess, of you put on your seatbelt and then you push the button. Auto idle stop. Eight five. And now I understand it's been on some new cars for four or five years. I understand it's been on electric cars forever. Like if you drive a Prius, that's what happens. But but the technology on electric cars is, is different. They don't have starters, and you've got this big old battery in the trunk. It's a different sort of technology. But this stopping and starting and shutting off the engine, I, I'm trying to think, do I go with this? Is it something that you get used to, or is it just something that... Um, you know, it's just, you, you want to disable it all the time. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you've purchased a car in the last couple years, you, you, and I didn't even know this was on there. It's my fault. It didn't do the research. Didn't occur to me that this was a feature. And like I say, it was new on the model year of the car I bought, but I know some of the new cars have had it before. They put it on to try to deal with like mileage requirements, but I got to tell you, I don't like it. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you dealt with auto idle stop or whatever your vehicle, that's what Honda calls it. There might be called something different. But you know what I'm talking about. All right. Is, is this a godsend or is this nothing but a nuisance? We discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I think... We might be coming together on something, regardless of whether where you are on the political scale. I think we're all starting to agree that we hate this auto idle stop feature that is being foisted on us by car manufacturers to try to get EPA mileage increases. Jeff, I told my wife to listen. My wife has a Ford F-150. She complains about this all the time. I haven't driven the truck to realize it, but again, she hates it. I hear about it all the time. Jeff, I rented a car recently that had this feature and I didn't like the car shutting off every time I came to a traffic light. It was always disconcerting to me when I was the lead car at the intersection and the car shuts off whether or not it's going to start right away when the light turns green or if I'm going to be stuck there with everybody honking at me. Um, Yes. Um, Jeff, Ford started the stop-start feature in 2015. I have it on my F-150. I absolutely hate it. I absolutely hate it. Um, Okay, let's see. Um, Jeff, uh, this is just eco-theater. It really doesn't do anything to save the environment, but gives the auto manufacturers the image of being green. Well, okay, also what happens is they're under pressure from the EPA to meet certain mileage standards, and by putting this on, they can claim that, hey, we're we're actually getting more miles per gallon than than we are, which is why they don't allow you to permanently disable this. So it's not just the the eco-stuff, but but yeah, you, you research this, and you're going to have mechanics saying that, that they claim you can save 8% on gasoline. It, it's really, in the real world, it's closer to 3%, which, you know, over the course of 10,000 miles turns out to be absolutely nothing. But the flip side is, what is this doing to all the other parts? It can't be, look, I'm not a mechanic, but it can't be good for starters. It, it can't be good for batteries. It can't be good for alternators. Stopping and starting a car, like I say today, I disabled it so it didn't shut off, but if I hadn't disabled this feature, it would have probably stopped and started my car five, six, maybe seven times instead of just once. How can that be good for the starter? Let's talk to um, Howie in Whitewater. Hi, Howie. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I was talking to your screener. I, I personally, I like it only because I'm in the automotive parts business, automotive aftermarket, or supplier. 
<laughs> and we're going to start seeing a lot of those premature wearing out of alternators, batteries, starters, whatever it might be. Right. So for us, it's a good thing. On the flip side, I guess I really don't like it otherwise. I mean, and I know where you're coming from. I think it is kind of a pain, but what do you do? Right. Well, it's unfortunate that, see, I, I think it should be as an as an option. I, I think if, if you want this and you want that extra 3% savings, that that's fine. But I, I think just like I was talking about that lane deviation thing, I think you should be able to, to either put it on or put it off instead of the default position that it's always on. But I, I, I get it. But I, I do understand your perspective because there's no doubt in my mind you're going to be selling a lot more starters and a lot more batteries and a lot more alternators and a lot more <laughs> other stuff. As, as, thanks for calling. I mean, again, because just intuitively, I'm not a mechanic, but intuitively, it, it, there's a lot more wear and tear on those different parts if you in the space of a 15-minute drive in the city traffic, if the car has shut on and off six or seven times than if it's just continuously run. Let's talk to um, Steve downtown. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Steve, yes, I Steve. Uh, had to go to a dealership and pick up uh, had my car in for the day, so they give me a loaner for the day, brand-new vehicle. Pull away from the dealership. I have to go through a small community with stop signs, stop lights. The car idles to a stop, starts back up again. I'm thinking, my gosh, something's wrong with this brand-new car they just gave me. Right. I turn around and drive back to the dealership, and they say, oh, no, it's got this special feature. And I said, well, thanks for Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you didn't know what's going on. All of a sudden, you know that the car is just, it's dying at the intersections. Yep, I'm sorry, we lost Steve's telephone. Well, that that was kind of it. I mean, again, I was like, okay, I'm, it's my situation. It's Easter Sunday. I'm coming back from church. I'm at a stoplight, and the, the engine is just shut off. And I'm going, what the heck is going on here? Now, again, it's it's in my particular car, and I was looking. If it's below a certain temperature um, outside, I, I don't think the thing kicks in. But it sure was kicking in on Sunday. Uh, Jeff, I just bought a uh, 20 Chevy full-size pickup. It has that feature. I do not like it. I try to remember to turn it off with my truck. Um, but um, I think my truck has two extra quarts of oil compared to the old style. I think it's going to be tougher to maintain it. Jeff, I purchased a used car a couple years back, but purposely looked for a car without the auto stop. Manufacturers have to install heavy-duty battery and starters to accommodate this feature. Um, yes, Jeff, you can disable anything. They just don't want you to. But uh, f- uh, there, I think there's probably a fuse to disconnect the auto start, but you have to know what you're doing. Well, I'm I'm not going to do that. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to play around because I don't know what that what that does with warranties and things like that. I mean, I'm 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 stuck with living at, with this. But I, I do admit that, and this is one of the reasons I want to talk about this. My big question was, um, what do, do people get used to this? Is this a situation where after a while you just don't notice it? Or is this one where, no, if you hate it now, you're going to hate it all times? Richard and Fond du Lac. Hi, Richard. You're on WTMJ. Hello there. Hi, Richard. Hey, I, I, you do get used to it. Are you there? You do get used to it. Mm-hmm. And I'd say uh, I've been driving. I put probably 30,000, 40,000 miles on a year. have a car that stops. It's reliable. I know that there's that fear that uh, you get to the stop sign and is the car going to start? Well, it does. And every time it does, away you go. It's, uh, I mean, I'm sure people were afraid of cruise control, and I want the power. I won't decide what speed. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, maybe I'm a young buck, but I'm, you know, nearly 60 years old. 
so I'm not that young. It's something I get used to. I'd say have not ever had a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, and I, and I appreciate I think, and I appreciate and I think the, the reliability parts was there too. Well, I guess I mean time, time will tell. I think it's, it's the question to me is. Do, do you have to get used to it? Now, the, in, granted, the Honda I have, again, there's there's a button. It's not hard. There's a big button on the console that you push, and you can disable it. My beef is that, again, you have to push it every time you start the car. Like I said, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier who has a, a Chevy Blazer, and they, they up until the 2020 model year, you, you couldn't disable it. It, it was there automatically. I, I would really hate that. I think if I had something like that, I think I might look at selling the car. Uh, but, again, to, to me – to me, the, the the savings that you're going to get, I think, ultimately are negligible for what I describe would describe as the inconvenience. And I understand maybe it's just a confidence thing. The thing is always going to start, and, and maybe if you're just willing to drive around it. Jeff, um, the, I have a 2018 Jeep Compass. It has it. I still hate it to this day. It is the first button that I push after I start it to disable it. Jeff, my wife drives a 2019 CRV and it has this feature. I agree with you. I don't think it's a good use of technology. If you are in heavy traffic, the starter is going to get constantly used. And I feel that over time, that does more damage than the traditional car that doesn't have this feature. Well, again, I wasn't even aware of this until, until just the other day. Jeff, Auto stop, auto idle stop has to be the craziest thing. I just brought a brand new GMC Sierra that has this feature. Typically, the first upgrade for the new pickup is a set of new wheels and try and tires. However, in 2021, the first toy for my truck is an auto stop eliminator, about a hundred dollar device. Go figure. <laughs> well, you know, I guess it's something that you consider it. Jeff, my wife has this feature on her Highlander. I hate it. If you don't depress it all the way, it will still run. I guess there's ways that you can play about this. So in any event, at least for me, three words, auto idle stop. If you're buying a new car, just just be aware. I, I don't know that you're going to have too much choice. Sounds like this is probably going to be a feature. Maybe you can learn to live with it, but it's really the automakers are putting it on there because the, the government wants to help us save the planet. Whether it really does that or not, time will tell. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. Yeah, The reports are that the brewers have traded uh, – shortstop Orlando Arcia to the Atlanta Braves for two pitchers that they haven't confirmed who those those pitchers are, although there's some speculation. But it looks like if the names are the names that that are being thrown around on the Internet. I'm not going to say it until it gets confirmed. It looks like they got something in return. Arcia uh, became, of course, expendable uh, when the when the Brewers, first of all, you know, got Luis, um, got the got the other shortstop Urias from San Diego two years ago, and then brought back uh, Travis Shaw to play third base. And so Arcia was really kind of ex- extraneous at, at that point in time. So um, you, you figured that this was going to happen at some point in time. Uh, I guess the, the one question that you could ask about the Brewers, given the miserable start that they are off to, and they are off to a miserable start, and unfortunately from a hitting perspective, ho- hopefully it'll turn around. I understand it's baseball, it's a long season, it's only been four games, but the unfortunately right now, 
while the 2021 version of the Brewers, from a hitting perspective, looks like the 2020 version of the Brewers. So if you're going to be critical, the only thing you would say is, okay, but gee, what, what the Brewers need, that's the last thing they need is more pitching. But of course, you can never have too much pitching. Maybe they need somebody who can, can actually hit. But hopefully the hitters will come around. Not necessarily surprising because, again, Arcia became extraneous once Urias came in and started as the um, Luis Urias started as, as the shortstop and once they brought Travis Shaw back. But Arcia had a very, very good run in Milwaukee, and you certainly want to wish him the best. Okay. Again, as I was saying earlier, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out a link to a piece that appears in the Wall Street Journal this morning, Rob Manfred's All-Star Error. Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. The com- and this is by Faye Vincent, who is the former commissioner of baseball. The commissioner politicized baseball over a law he likely hadn't examined. As we discussed yesterday, all this hysteria over the Georgia voting law makes your head explode. Yes, they, they did some things. I guess arguably you can say, okay, maybe this makes it a little more difficult to vote because you can only request an absentee ballot two and a half months before the election instead of six months before the election. And yes, you can't have people in NRA or union T-shirts going up to people as they stand in line and vote and giving them things. Okay, if that bothers you, well, let it bother you. But at the same time, they, they increased the potential for, they made it easier for absentee voting. They added an extra weekend. You go through the particulars. And Joe Biden, the president, should be ashamed of himself for calling this Jim Crow. It, and in many respects, it's a lot easier to vote in Georgia than it is in Biden's home state of Delaware or in New York State, where the commissioner of the uh, of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, lives. But in any event, this is this knee-jerk reaction. You had Biden said what he said. You had the mainstream media decide to pile on. And a lot of people, without even knowing what was in the Georgia law, decide, okay, well, this is what we've got to do. We, we, we've just got to, we've got to pull the All-Star game. So they move it now, it's announced, to Denver, Colorado. So here's what's happened. The woke MLB is moving the All-Star game. And the big beneficiaries of the All-Star game are the communities where it's played because you know, you, you, it brings people in and they spend money. So woke MLB is moving the All-Star game from Atlanta, which is 51% black, to Denver, which is 76% white. So we're pulling, we're pulling the all-star game from a predominantly minority city and moving it to an overwhelmingly white city in Colorado. Oh, that, that's really good. In addition, interestingly enough, uh, Denver or in Colorado in general, Colorado has many more restrictions in some respect on voting than they do in Georgia. So, I mean, depending on how you want to look at it, you're moving the game to a state that actually has even perhaps more restrictions. So, of course, then keep in mind the fact that if baseball is so racist, for example, and if leaving the game in Georgia is racist, the other question is, well, you know, baseball is doing business with China. I mean, you know, you, you can complain, gee, I don't like the aspect of the law that says that union activists can't go and give free stuff to people waiting in line to vote. Well, 
Major League Baseball is doing billions of dollars with her business or hundreds of millions of dollars worth of business with China where you don't have to worry about standing in line to vote because nobody votes. <laughs> you know. And, of course, you've got Rob Manfred who belongs to Augusta National Golf Course and who regularly attends the Masters. Where is the Masters? Where is Augusta? Oh, yeah, it's it's in Georgia. And if you can read Faye Vincent's column, I mean, he talks about how he says Major League Baseball can't become a weapon in the culture wars, a hostage for one political party or ideology. It can't be only for the rich or poor, nor can it only be for one race as it was until 1947. Um and it just goes on to talk about how you know Manfred is unable to even explain coherently what it is about the the Georgia law that is so appalling that requires him to move it. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If nothing else, I, I think the idea that you are moving the game from a predominantly minority city, 51% black in particular, to a predominantly white, an overwhelmingly white city, what does Major League Baseball accomplish at all? Georgia's not going to change their law. All you have done is hurt the city of Atlanta, meaning that you have hurt the people of Atlanta, meaning you have had a disproportionate impact on persons of color. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just, this stuff makes my head explode. Political correctness run amok. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Steve texts Jeff. This is beyond ridiculous. It just shows how out of touch Joe Biden and the elites in the media really are. I would include certainly Major League Baseball as well. Jeff, so much to unpack here, but why just cancel one game? What about the other 82 games played in Atlanta? Just going ahead with them like normal? None of this makes any sense. Well, that that's an interesting question. Let's talk to Louise in Milwaukee. Louise, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. I really believe that this is just like a warning that if you try, any state tries to change the voting laws, this is what's going to happen. We'll hit you with something like that. Well, I guess, Louise, thanks. I mean, maybe, but, but okay, but what about the people who believe that the voting laws should, in fact, be changed? We're going to pick it up right there, but we've, Barry Alvarez. Yes, Barry Alvarez uh, announcing his retirement effective June 30th. He is speaking right now at UW-Madison. To get there. I enjoyed every minute of it. I modeled a lot of what I've done after my college coach in Nebraska, Bob Devaney. He enjoyed success, a successful career in football, and then, uh, after his career becoming after his career in football, became the athletic director and built something that lasted in Nebraska. And I hope that I've I've helped build something that will last here in Wisconsin. Retirement brings mixed emotions. But I decided to have a little fun today and share some stories as I thank so many people. I have to start with thanking Pat Richter for uh, having confidence in me and hiring an assistant coach, bringing me to Madison. Um, Pat was recruited by Donna Shalala, who made a huge impact on the athletic program, had had the vision of saying, why can't we have a world class athletic program as we do a world-class 
academic institution. And she meant it. She put a lot of work into it. I think she wanted to win as much as I wanted to win. She was here every weekend. We brought in recruits. And the story that I love to tell about her best is the summer, um, as we were finish up, finishing up summer, um, or my kids were finish up, finish, finishing up school, Don asked, when are Cindy and the kids coming to town? And I said, well, uh, I'm finishing a home. I've got a month left before our home is built. They'll come as soon as they finish school. She said, well, where will you live? I said, uh, I've, got a small, I've got an apartment. We'll stay in, they'll stay with me in, in the apartment. She said, you know, I'm going on vacation. Why don't you and the, Cindy and the kids stay at the Olin house? I'll be gone for a month. By that time, your house is built. I said, that's great. Well, we were there a week, and phone rings, and it's Donna. Wherever she was, they had issues. She was coming home. I said, okay. She said, but you don't have to leave. You could stay here. So uh, we did. We had breakfast every morning. We visited. Um, that first week that she was there, I, I had my first Big Ten football meetings. Jim Delaney wanted something passed. He wanted us to go back and speak with our chancellors or presidents uh, because they were going to have a vote on an issue. And as he started around the room, I can remember Hayden Fry stomping and he was having issues with his president. Every, it seemed as though every head coach had some type of issue with their president. It came to me and I said, hell, I live with mine. I'll see her tomorrow morning at breakfast. We won't have any problems. And John Wiley, first time I met John Wiley, John was the dean of the grad school. And what I did my first year, I, I assigned every one of my assistant coaches um, a dean. I wanted to find out about the school. I wanted us to go uh, and sell our program to the rest of the university. I wanted to know about each, each college so as we recruited, we could sell it. The assistants would come back and report on it. They take, I wanted them to take them to lunch. I paid for the lunch. So Kevin Cosgrove was assigned to John. He comes back after three times. John gives him an excuse, another excuse, another excuse. Finally, on his fourth call, John says, listen, Kevin, you know, I don't have anything against you. I really don't know anything about football, uh, don't care about athletics. Uh, I'm not going to lunch with you. Kevin says, no, you don't understand. I've been ordered to have lunch with you, and I'm going to have lunch with you. So they did. A few years later, John is the chancellor. He says to me, you know what you were trying to do a few years ago? Um, that's what I'm trying to do now on campus, and I appreciate what you did. And, and then he gave me the opportunity to become uh, the athletic director, and I appreciated that, John. Um, so proud and thankful to all the coaches, the assistant coaches I had as, as a head football coach, and I'll tell you, the guys that I brought in could recruit, and they could get after it in coaching. If you think about it, I came in after the... Uh, actually July or January 1st after the Orange, Orange Bowl, uh, we had a month to recruit and Dan McCarney, Bernie Wyatt, um, Kevin Cosgrove, uh, then the next year Brad Childress and, and uh, uh, John Palermo. I mean, those guys could flat recruit and, and coach because th those two years were the nucleus of that first Rose Bowl. And the first year we had a month 
and the majority of those guys ended up being outstanding players and, and starting on that Rose Bowl. I'll ever be, forever be indebted to those coaches. Um, my administ current administration is outstanding. The employees in this athletic department are so loyal and dedicated and take such pride in the job that they do, and each person within this department can look at one another uh, and say, I can count on that person doing their job. Really proud of the coaches that we have here uh, at Wisconsin, the coaches that we've had in the past. They've always cared about the student-athlete first. All the ones that I've hired, I made that perfectly clear and wanted to hear in the interview them talking about the kids and whether they care about the student-athletes and how they're going to support them. I've had two wonderful uh, assistants throughout my tenure. Lisa Powell was with me 16 years uh, in football. It's her birthday today, by the way. Happy birthday, Lisa. And Linda Wilkins uh, has been with me uh, as long as I've been the director. Now, th these two ladies uh, have been known to be able to think on their feet. You can think of the, some of the phone calls that they get throughout the year after a tough loss or somebody didn't get parking where they wanted or their seats weren't in the right spot. But uh, as I've told them before, these girls, they both went to handling school. They could handle any situation and have, and I want to thank them. To my former players, um, uh, so proud of you and proud of what you did, how you bought into the program. Um, nothing makes me more proud than get to get a call or get a letter from a former player that tells me he still uses some of the things, some of the lessons and values that he learned in football to this day, whether it be in his job or raising his family. Joe Panos just called me the other day and, and mentioned that. Chris Godorzi, uh a while back introduced me at a, at a banker's convention in Wausau. He talked about me, and it was so touching, I, cr I started crying. I had to gather myself before I gave, before I gave my, my speech because it meant that much to me. And it happens frequently, and um, I want to just want to thank those guys because that's what it's all about. That's what it's always been about for me, is, is being about the athletes, the student athletes, and, and how we can help them. To our current, current student athletes, any ch chance that I get, I thank them for how they represent us, on and off the field, courts, etc. They make all of us, all of our alums, proud of how you respond. And probably the, the best compliment that I've had uh, regarding our student-athletes is from the late Joe Paterno. I, I, regardless of what happened to Joe at the, in the end, I had great respect for Joe. And I can remember him grabbing me at, at the kickoff luncheon in Chicago and saying, Barry, I just want to tell you something. I watch your teams. I watch how they compete. They compete hard. They really represent you well. They are very proud of that W that they wear on their uniforms. And for another coach, a coach of that magnitude, to make that type of statement spoke volumes to our athletes, but really made me feel proud. To our fans, 
our alumni, um, our donors. I, I can't thank you enough for the tremendous support. I have to tell you, it doesn't make any difference where I go. I have to hear every Rose Bowl story of every alum that I meet. And you know what? That's okay. I enjoy every one of them myself. I had some great friends. You are listening to coverage of UW-Madison Athletic Director Barry Alvarez and the retirement uh, send-off the university is giving him here on WTMJ, that coverage courtesy of the Big Ten Network. If you want to continue listening live, we will uh, have more coverage online at WTMJ.com and through the WTMJ mobile app. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. We're now finding out the other part of the, the trade, the, the breaking news in the baseball front, in addition to moving the All-Star game, is that uh, the Brewers have traded longtime shortstop Orlando Arcia to the Atlantic Braves for two pitchers, and, and actually the, the names aren't the ones that were originally coming out. The two pitchers that they got, relievers Chad Sabatka and Patrick Weigel. Uh, let's see, Sabatka... Uh, Sabatka, 28 years old, fourth-round draft pick of the Braves in 2014, pitched in 50 major league games since 2018, 1-0 with a 5.36 earned run average. Weigel turns 27 on July 8th, uh, made his major league deba- debut for the Braves last season, throwing two-thirds of an inning, so kind of a career minor leaguer. Both of them go to their alternate training facility in Appleton. So it's it it it's not like big names came in, but at the same time, Orlando Arcia w- was extraneous. We, you have you have Urias, who's the shortstop. You've got uh, Travis Shaw, who's uh, the third baseman. You've got a couple other utility players who are on the team. So um, I think this was a situation where it was just he was. Uh, this was, I think, a foreseeable type of thing. But uh, Orlando Arcia had a great run in Milwaukee, and I think you have to uh, appreciate that and certainly wish him the best. Okay, I, I want to apologize to one of our callers, Louise. We were talking about this decision to move the All-Star game from Atlanta to um, to Colorado, and the, the Barry Alvarez press conference started, and I had to be a little bit shorter with her than I would like. But But my point of this was... First of all, it's a knee-jerk reaction that was done without an understanding, really, of what went on with the George in the Georgia law. But but also this idea that you, you've actually you're, you're hurting, you are hurting Atlanta, Atlanta, which is 51% black and a majority-minority city. Okay, you're you're moving the game from there, taking away that economic impact, and moving it to Denver that is 76% white. And the point that Louise was making right before uh, the Barry Alvarez press conference started was that well, the reason that they do this is they're they're trying to discourage other legislatures from messing around with the voting laws that this is like a preemptive check to which i would say give me a break i mean not the comment but the idea that do, do you really think that a, a state legislature for example is going to say look we think we need to make some reforms in our voting laws and we're not going to do it because we rob manfred and major league baseball might have some sort of knee-jerk reaction but i do want to just take a minute and we're going to open up the phone lines for one more segment on this i, I want to review the bidding something we talked about a little bit yesterday because th- this i understand 
Joe Biden goes out on, on TV and says this Georgia voting law is like Jim Crow, too. I understand that the mainstream media picks up on that. I understand that the Stacey Abrams, she's the uh, woman who ran for governor of Georgia, who claims that, you know, the election was stolen from her a couple of years ago. I understand that that's this media narrative. But the truth couldn't they couldn't be farther from the truth now again you you can look at some of the individual things they did in georgia and you can argue all right is is this the best policy or or not but to describe this as jim crow is just absolutely beyond the pale okay so here here's what the the key elements of what the georgia law did first of all it it shrinks the window for voters to request mail ballots um, rather than being able to request absentee ballots six months from Election Day, now you, you can only do it 78 days, two and a half months. Okay, okay, so really, you're going to tell me that this is a major restriction on voting rights saying that, you know, you, you have to wait till two and a half months before an election till you ask for an absentee ballot? I, I mean, seriously, it, it has what they say are, are new voter ID requirements. The way the law used to work in Georgia is when you'd fill out and send in an absentee ballot, you'd have to sign the ballot. And then what would happen is you'd have to have the clerks comparing the signature that's on the ballot to the, the signature that's on file for you. And so you get this highly discretionary type of thing. You know, I, I've got the whole thing of back in the Bush Corps era, you know, the people looking to see, is this a hanging chat or whatever? You, you have like these clerks that have to decide, hey, is this the same signature? So what they do now is when you, you sign up to vote, you get a voter number. And that number is on, you know, your absentee ballot and you send it back in and they know it came from you. The, the voting numbers are unique. To me, it, it's something that candidly just uh, makes things I think a lot simpler and you don't have to fool around with hey, is this this person's signature or not okay it limits the number of ballot drop boxes during early voting now now ballot drop boxes are those just unattended boxes where you can stick an envelope in they're very very controversial in some minds I really don't have that much of a problem with them I, I don't personally but but th- this is an issue before 2018, there were no ballot drop boxes that were allowed in Georgia. None. Well, as a result of COVID, the courts uh, decided we want to make this a little bit easier, so they opened it up to put ballot drop boxes in. And what this law limits is the number of ballot drop boxes. But it's something that didn't even exist in Georgia before 2018. And, and then, you know, there's a couple other technicalities. The thing that gets a lot of attention is there is a ban on handing out food and water within 150 feet of any polling place. So what this means is, if you're a member of the NRA or the Teamsters Union or, or whatever, what you can't, you're not allowed to go up and give people like free food and free drink while they're standing in line. Oh, how, how terrible is that? Oh, this is just awful. That not, there's nothing that says that people, if you want to bring a bottle of water to stand in line or a Diet Coke or whatever, you can do that. You can bring pretzels. You can do whatever. It just says that these outside groups can't come in and essentially quasi-electioneer and give people free stuff while they're standing in line. Now, maybe you think that's a good policy. Maybe you think it's a bad policy. But Jim Crow, I mean, really? Really? In addition, the law 
adds an additional day of early voting in most rural counties and provides more resources for people and precincts so the, the lines don't get too long. Okay, so that that's it. Again, you can look at these different provisions and you can say, well, I, I think maybe we should have more ballot drop boxes or um, gee, maybe somebody should be able to request an absentee ballot four months before the election instead of two and a half. All right, reasonable people can disagree about that. But seriously, you listen to these things and you say, all right, is this this major suppression of voting that's going on? And I think the answer is pretty clearly um, no. But but yet the knee-jerk reaction of Major League Baseball is we're we're going to pull this game and take the revenue away from a predominantly majority from a majority minority city and we're going to move it to to Denver which by the way has its own sets of restrictions all right 855-616-1620 that is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line let's revisit this for one more segment because to me this was a knee-jerk decision on the part of Major League Baseball that opens them up for all sorts of criticism because now again the, the question is going to be are we going to now look at, at every other state and compare those states and their voting to what's going on in Georgia and say, okay, we, we can't have an all-star game in New York because in many respects, New York State in certain areas is much more restrictive on voting than Georgia is. Delaware, where Joe Biden comes from, is much more restrictive. I mean, is this now what we're going to do where we micromanage and microanalyze every state's voting rights to determine whether or not they're going to be able to host the World Series or host an all-star game or even have a major league baseball team? 855-616-1620. This is the problem when you have these sports leagues and corporations that decide they want to dabble in politics and just go along with the flow in a knee-jerk reaction. I think this hurts Major League Baseball, 855-616-1620. And it also, in this case, hurts the city of Atlanta. And if the idea is you're trying to, I mean, help help a city, especially a predominantly minority city, you have done absolutely the opposite. 855-616-1620. We continue the conversation. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I would argue that the shortened period for obtaining an absentee ballot would be beneficial. If I get my absentee ballot six months prior to election day, I'm lose, likely to lose it before I send it back. Well, again, reasonable people can argue about this, but can any reasonable person say, "Gee, you you have to. You're not allowed to request an absentee ballot until two and a half months." prior to the election. So that would be, let's see, you've got a November election, November 4th, for example, October 4th, September 4th. So in the middle of August, you're allowed to request a ballot for the November election. That That's major voter suppression. I mean, seriously, seriously, give me a break on, on this whole type of thing. It's um, Here's another text. Now, you have to kind of question the motivation behind the reasons that Georgia changed the law at all. There is no problem with five months for absentee balloting requests and no problems with some of these other issues. Well, actually, 
Again, reasonable people can say six months or two and a half months, but I don't think two and a half months is unreasonable. Actually, the increased voter ID stuff to me does make sense. The idea of people in the clerk's office trying to decide when you sign a ballot whether your signature is the same as when you requested the ballot, to me, that's something that's rife for, if not fraud, rife for just confusion. Because I don't know about you, but my signature is not the same all all the time, you know, especially if you're in a hurry or whatever. So this way, everybody gets numbers. There's no issue as to who submitted the different ballots. But but regardless, Jim Crow, by saying, hey, you know, when when you request a ballot, you're going to get a number that's assigned to you. And then that's the number that you use. Okay. You know, again, this idea that this is something that, oh, my gosh, we're suppressing all all these votes. It, It just it just isn't true. That that's the bottom line of all this. It just flat isn't true. Um, and again, so you've got the situation where you know Major League Baseball's decided here we're going to have the knee jerk reaction. We're going to try to send a message. I don't know. Here's a text, Jeff. What's the benefit of moving the All Star Game from Atlanta to Denver in actually hijacking economic opportunity from many minority owned businesses in Atlanta surrounding the station and giving a sudden windfall to a much more friendly, affluent, predominantly quote unquote white area surrounding Coors Field in Denver? And And since the current voting laws in both states are very similar, I think the MLB move is ludicrous and causing unnecessary collateral damage back in Atlanta. Right. It's not it's not like there are you you can argue in some respects that Colorado is more restrictive. You can argue in some respects that it's less restrictive. But it's not like people aren't allowed to vote in, in Georgia. And if the idea is by doing this, we're going to make other legislatures think twice Well, again, give give me a break. I mean, give me a break. And now Major League Baseball is on record as saying, okay, these are the different standards. So if New York, for example, where Rob Manfred lives, has a a more restrictive voting law, I mean, are we going to pull the Yankees? We're not going to let the Yankees or the Mets have World Series games if if that comes to that be because of the voting thing? And again, I raise the question, what, what about the deal Major League Baseball has with China? Where, where we don't even talk about, we don't even talk about voting in China because you don't vote in, in China. You know, what about the deal there? And Rob Manfred, like I say, are you going to the mas- Masters this week at the country club you belong to at Augusta? Or are you going to renounce and resign your membership at Augusta because, well, okay, of the Georgia voting law? Just asking these questions. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Mike Spalding, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It seems it runs in cycles. In the last day or so, I have gotten at least a half dozen of these like robocalls with the mechanical voice that says, you are in legal trouble. Please press nine to avoid being arrested or, or something like that. I, at least a half dozen. Matter of fact, I just, I think just another one came in just a couple minutes ago. And it seems like it, it goes in cycles. I, I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago because I had gotten a whole bunch and then it, it died down. And then like in the last 24 hours, you're, you're getting these. And I, I, it's just, it is very frustrating. Absolutely is. And I have gotten a lot of them, I think. Oh, uh, they weren't robo calls, but they were like, or they weren't scam calls, but they were election related. Do you did your phone get texts like 
lots of text messages. I, I got I get a handful of them, not a lot. Yeah, I think I got four or five yesterday. I'll be sure to get out and vote oh, and all uh, that stuff. Yeah, or here, you know, this is the platform we're on, and we support candidate X Y Z. You know, because we have to sign up. For, I'm sure you do too. You sign up because you want all the candidate newsletters and you want to know what's going on for your job. And it comes to backfire me the day before the election when all of those campaigns then now reach out to you. And Well, the frustrating thing, too, is when, when I get a couple of those from different campaigns and it says, like, you can text stop, you know, it's all text yeah. stop, and it doesn't stop. It, it just, it's, it's, it's just not it. But again, I just I wonder, and it is one of the frustrating things that we, you know, we, we put a man on the moon in 1969, and here we are, you know, 50-plus years later, and we haven't figured out a way to stop people from, you know, getting these sort of calls. And, and, and obviously the reason they do them is most people just ignore them, and it just, it's an annoyance, and it goes into your voicemail, and you delete it and block the number. But, but you know that there's got to be at least a certain subset of people, particularly probably the, the most vulnerable, and however you want to define that, who, who panic. Oh, I don't want to be arrested, or I don't want to have my social, secu- my social security is being stolen or whatever, and they hit nine, and next thing you know, they, they've just made those matters worse. Yeah, it's a lot more threatening if you take a step back and and just listen to it, I don't know, like for the first time, or, or pretend like I'm not in the media, or, or I don't know, I just haven't been right. educated about them, and you hear them, they are a lot more scary than they are annoying. But I'm with you with the blocking the phone number thing. I do it all the time, but it doesn't ever right. seem to work. It doesn't work. Right, because all this is, and it's, I mean, the, the calls I was getting yesterday, I was keeping track of this. There were all 414, mm-hmm. 414 numbers, and then the, the three-digit number before that matches the three-digit number on my cell phone. So, I mean, I, clearly it's geared to make you think that it's like a local call mm-hmm. or something like that. And then, you know, you block the one, and then 15 minutes later, you get the same message from a different number frustrating we put a man on the moon we can't figure out a way to stop these sleazes who are trying to take advantage of people welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj there is by the way an election today and there is an election that all of us get to vote in if you're a wisconsin resident is for state superintendent of schools it's interesting because you haven't been seeing as many articles about dark money in this particular race because, well, it's the liberal candidate that's benefiting from the, the dark money. The, the race is essentially between a woman named Jill Underley, and you have perhaps seen her ads. She is the former superintendent or the superintendent of the uh, Pecatonica School District, which is a small school district outside of Madison, and she is running against Deborah Kerr. Deborah Kerr was on the program uh, before. She was the former school superintendent in, in Brown Deer. The big difference between the two is that Underly is heavily supported by Democrats in Wisconsin and the organized left and teachers unions. And the big difference, as much as I can tell between the two of them, it just just cut through the, the stuff about this person's a crook or that person's a crook. The, the big difference is that, that Underly is anti-school choice. Interestingly, even though, you know, she apparently sent her kids to private school when she worked for the State Department of, Injust- of, of uh, Instruction, whereas Deborah Kerr, she, she's pro-school choice. So that, that's it. And that's why all this money is being spent. Over a million dollars has been spent in the school superintendent race, which at least according to the local newspaper, that, that's the most money that has ever been spent by special interest groups, third-party groups, on a particular race. And of that million dollars, the overwhelming amount of it, um, almost 800000 has been spent by left-leaning groups. Uh, Planned Parenthood 
spent 16,000 bucks on ads, text messages, and robocalls for Underly. Um, WEAC, it's a teacher's union, spent $110,000 on on postcards. That would be the Madison version of WEAC. And this group that calls itself A Better Wisconsin Together. What this group is, this is a, a sort of subset of the the ultimate political pond scum in Wisconsin, which is One Wisconsin Now, which is this left-wing advocacy group that spends a, a ton of money running what often turns out to be extremely negative ads against conservative candidates or Republicans or whatever. Well, a better Wisconsin together, which is which is One Wisconsin Now, spent $78,000 on digital ads for Underly. And get this, $700,000 on TV ads against Deborah Kerr. $700,000, which explains why every time you turn on the TV, you see one of these sort of attack ads that's there. My advice when it comes to this is just consider the source and, and who's running these various ads. Now, historically... The, the candidate endorsed by and supported by the left in Wisconsin and the teachers union typically wins because there's a, almost always a huge spending disparity. That may very well be the case again this year. But if you're wondering, you know, what the big differences between the candidates are, to me, it, it fundamentally comes down to, first of all, who's supporting you and who's opposing you. And a lot of times it's one of those deals. I always used to say this about yard signs. I'm not a big believer in yard signs, but sometimes there'd be local races. When I used to live in Whitefish Bay, I had a guy that lived down the street from me, and I, I wouldn't really be tuned into like who the different candidates were. But it was one of those deals where if I saw that he had a yard sign in his front yard for a candidate, that almost always told me to vote the other way. Well, I, I'm sort of in the, the same category with this. If, if you, even if you're not following stuff and you, you know, see ads, attack ads that are being funded by things calling themselves a better Wisconsin together or one Wisconsin now or whatever, chances are if you go the other way, you'll probably be voting correctly. Don't know how this race is going to turn out. You'd have to say that in spending and historically, Deborah Kerr is the huge underdog, but sometimes underdogs do win. Okay, when we come back, I want to tell you about this new poll and ask what you think of it. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, new Gallup poll out. I understand that. The, I understand that we we all take polls, or many of us take polls with with a grain of salt, and there's a reason for that. But I, I do think when when you see changes in polls, and it's the same sort of poll, it opens stuff up for discussion. All right, so in a poll taken mid February by Gallup, they ask the question about how worried are you about contracting COVID nineteen. Um, And 49% of adults, almost one in two, said that that they were either very or somewhat worried. So about one in two. This is mid-February. And men slightly less than women, um, younger people slightly more than older people, but but essentially comparable. So they asked the same question mid-March, a couple weeks ago. How worried are you? 49% in February. That number has now dropped to 35% saying that they're somewhat worried or very worried, a drop of 14 points. Among people who are 65 or older, the number went from 46% who were worried or somewhat worried all the way down to 21%. That's a drop of 25%. Among men, among women, 
15 percentage point drop. It, it doesn't matter whether you look at it based on race, race or ethnicity or, you know, education or age. What you see is a dramatic drop in the number of people who are worried that they are, or even somewhat worried, whatever that means, that they're going to contract COVID. All right, now, obviously, part of that is because of the vaccine rollout and the fact that on any given day, you have three million or so more people who are, are getting uh, vaccinated. The fact that in various states, the limits have now been lifted. And so, you know, you, you have people up to the age of 16 or able, who are able to, again, you know, get the vaccinations. But I thought this would be interesting to, no pun intended, take your temperature. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my question to you. If you were polled by the Gallup pollsters and I said to you, all right, here we are, it's early April, are you worried that you are personally going to contract COVID, worried or even somewhat worried, how would you answer? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, I will tell you, from, from my perspective, as somebody who had COVID in November and recovered, so has antibodies, who's had one dose of the vaccine, who's scheduled to get another dose of the vaccine sometime next week, my, my answer would be, I'm not, I am not worried at all for, for me. I've traveled. I, I'm... Look, and again, I, I've said this before, if if the place I go to requires a mask, I, I, I'm not going to buck that. I'll, I'll wear the mask. No, no problem with that. But as far as me personally being worried, number one, that I'm going to get it again, I've got no worries at all. I, I just don't. Secondly, as far as being worried that I can... You know, transmit it. I'm sorry, I, I just don't think that there's any science that demonstrates there's any sort of likelihood. So that's where I would come down. Where would you come down? Are you worried at all that you might contract COVID? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And especially, I think, for people who find themselves now after you've had your two vaccinations and after you've waited your, your two weeks, I just, I guess I, I don't understand what that fear would be that you could again contract it because, yes, I guess it's possible. Nothing's an absolute guarantee, but these, these vaccines are, in fact, effective. And I guess I look at these poll numbers and they start to tell me that I think people are, are ready to start getting back and, and living their lives and that that's going to be sooner rather than later. 855-616-1620. Are you worried at all that you may still contract COVID? We discuss in a moment. And this is Jeff Wagner. A month ago, 49% of people answering a Gallup survey said that they were either somewhat or very worried that they were going to contract COVID. In March, that number has dropped 14 points to 35%. And I, I continue to, my prediction is it's going to continue to plummet. I, I think people, I think people are comfortable with what's going on here. And if I had to answer that question from the perspective of somebody who's had COVID, who's recovered, who's had one shot and who's getting the other dose a uh, week from tomorrow, I, I'm, I would say I am not worried at all. Jeff, I have no fear of contracting COVID. My second shot is happening on April 15th. I will wear my mask when required. Um, yes. Jeff, with what is going on in Michigan right now, how can anybody feel safe? Well, I guess I do feel safe. Jeff, once two to three weeks have passed after receiving my second shot, I'm not going to be worried at all. Yes, there is a chance I could still get sick, but the likelihood of ending up in the hospital is extremely small. COVID isn't going away anytime soon. Time to move on 
on time to get back to normal. Jeff, I'm a 53-year-old male. I work in retail. I'm not worried at all. I've not had the virus, and I have not gotten the vaccine yet. Jeff, I have no fear of uh, contracting COVID. Jeff, um, I'm not worried. Well, I'm not worried, but I'm concerned about mutations. There's another one in California. They call it a, a double mutation. And somebody else says, well, well what about the, the variants? I, I guess here's... Here's how I answer that. Uh, unless there for people who have been vaccinated or people who have the antibodies, uh, unless they start showing compelling evidence, let's follow the science, that there is a, a likelihood that people who have been vaccinated are, are likely to get one of these variants uh, until there's evidence that suggests that. I'm sorry, I'm not going to live in fear of this all because COVID is going to be with us. And this is. This is one of the frustrating things to me, and I understand that there's people who want to be scared and who who don't think we can ever live life normally. All right, that's fine. And if you want to spend the rest of your life in your basement or afraid to go outside, that's fine. But candidly, you get behind a wheel of an automobile, you know, somebody can run through a red light in the mean streets of Milwaukee, slam into and kill you. So, I mean, there, there is all that there. And I'm not encouraging people to be irresponsible. But at some point in time, I, I think we have to recognize that we're going to get back, we need to get back to living our, our lives. And from the perspective of all these different variations, unless and until the science comes out and says, okay, for people who have been vaccinated, we have now found substantial evidence indicating that the Moderna vaccine that you got or the Pfizer vaccine that you got or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that you got doesn't give you protection against this or that or the other thing. I, I, I'm not going to be concerned about that. Now, I, again, I understand that you've had some of these different variations are more uh, protect more contagious and so you saw that with the the daycare facility in in madison where apparently it, it gets in and it, it spreads quickly so i mean these are people that haven't been vaccinated etc so i guess if you're at a point where you haven't been vaccinated and you haven't had it you don't have the antibodies well i that explains maybe the the 35 percent of the people who are still saying they're worried or they're somewhat worried about it but at the same time I mean, how long does this go? Robert on the North Shore. Hi, Robert. Hey, thanks. Uh, I've had both vaccines, both shots. Uh, feel good, confident, ready to travel. Uh, but I think you're missing the point that even vaccinated, you can carry it and give it to someone that hasn't been vaccinated. So wouldn't it make sense to be a little bit more careful? Well, you, you can. nobody's saying that you can't be careful. But, but first of all, that's another I mean, there's not over. Well, there's not overwhelming scientific evidence that says that happens. The, the one study that's out there is in Israel that says that the chance of somebody who's been vaccinated and who's had it of of getting it and passing it on asymptomatically, it, it's it's not very great. Now, I guess it's possible in theory. So, yeah, that that's why you you wear your mask on the airplane and things like that. But I guess there's always going to be these variants. There's always going to be these kind of what ifs. At what point in time? Do we say, okay, we're comfortable with living our lives? Good point. Uh, okay. Uh, we're close. Okay. Th- thanks. For, all right. Fair, fair enough. And, I mean, it, again, at some point you can always come up with these different different variations. That, And to me, I, I'm, I'm with follow the science. I think it's a fair question. If somebody has been vaccinated so you are protected or you've had it and you've got the antibodies, I mean, what is the statistically, where are the scientific studies that show that it is likely or in any sort of significance other than being the unicorn that you can somehow asymptomatically contract it and pass it on 
to someone who hasn't been vaccinated. And there, it's a theory right now, and maybe it's possible, but you're you're not seeing overwhelming numbers demonstrating that. I think most of the experts believe that that is highly unlikely. But it, at the same time, it's not encouraging people to be irresponsible. But if I were to answer the question, how likely, how worried am I that after, again, one vaccination having had it, how likely am I, am I worried that I'm going to get it? Again, my answer is no, I'm, I'm not worried at all. And I think more and more people are going to start to feel that way as we roll out the vaccines. And by the way, if you're a regular to the program, you know that I'm an advocate for the vaccine. I got my shot a couple weeks ago. I had no adverse reaction at all. Knock on wood, the same thing will be true a week from now. I think the more people get vaccinated, the quicker we get back to normal. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Mike Spaulding, I call this felony jack wagon. I know, I, I, it, it, actually, there's another term, but on the radio, it's like felony jack wagon. It's like sometimes, even if somebody, you, you understand why they're doing stuff, you, you have no sympathy for them. Like, now, when you go around, Mm-hmm. From time to time, I don't know, do you ever go to places where they, they before you can go in, they take your temperature? Yes. Right. So me too. You go to the, de- I go to my dentist. Mm-hmm. They, they they have a, a procedure and it used to be more invasive. It's not as much now. But one of the things is that they take your temperature and they take your pulse ox. You know, that's before you go in. Doesn't matter if you've been vaccinated. Doesn't matter if you've had COVID. They, they take your temperature. Um, up until a week ago, I go to a chiropractor from time to time. And, you know, that's one of the things. When you get there, the first thing they did is they... They, they have like one of those little radar gun type of things, and they look, they put it on your wrist, and they check your temperature. I, do I think it's a minor annoyance? Well, yeah, but it's what they do. It's, it, it's three seconds out of my life. So you've had that happen as well? Yeah, actually, same story. I was going to the dentist to get my teeth cleaned, and they did yeah. the, the temporal scan or whatever it is. Right. Okay. It, it's it's no, no big deal and it, it's what their rules are so it it's it's fine it, it's all of like two seconds of my life you know here jeff we need your wrist okay that's great and i bring this story up because there's a guy his name is kelly sills and he is guilty of what i call being a felony jack wagon here's the deal he arranges to take his family to disney world all right now and, and this this is like eight people now you disney world is a pricey vacation it's i know there's all sorts of people love disney world but disney world is a pricey vacation so he arranges in mid-february to take himself his wife and six i don't know if it's kids or grandkids or whatever but a large family eight people down to disney world the um the what he ends up paying in advance i think he's staying on property it's 15 grand 15 grand to take the family to Disney World. Disney World has all sorts of rules in connection with reopening. You gotta wear masks, they've got a limited number of people that are there. And when you go into certain areas, like some of the restaurants, you have to have a temperature check. All right. It's, and again, it's the same sort of thing. So Kelly Sills, who has paid $15,000 for this vacation, what he does is he, he's he, the family is going to eat at this uh, restaurant at Disney Springs, which is the old like downtown Disney. It's called the Boathouse, okay? And and they've got lines to get in. And as you go through the line, one of the things is they put that digital thermometer up there, and they 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 take your temperature. Well, he decides he doesn't want to have his temperature taken, so he goes in the exit line to avoid having this done. And then when the 
the hostess or host or whatever, who's probably making close to minimum wage, says, sir, you have to have this, he he throws a fit and turns into a complete jack wagon about how he doesn't want his temperature taken. So what happens then is they call security. He lips off to security, and he finds himself arrested for trespassing because he's refusing to do this, and he ends up taken to the uh, Orange County Sheriff's Office. <laughs> You know, for doing this. Do we know, was it the beginning of their vacation or was it the end of their vacation? I think it was closer to the vaca- the beginning of the vacation. So, and, <laughs> do you continue then as a family just going on your vacation? <laughs> yeah, you dad, already dad, spent the money. Right, right, dad's gotten thrown into, dad's in jail. You, you go down and bail out, you know, that's the, you know, you know, you went down on vacation, you come back on probation. You know, that's the whole sort of thing. But I mean, and, and so the guy, so he's now escalated this. To the point that the the authorities are being called at some point in time, don't you realize? And this has always amazed me. Don't you realize that you're not getting anywhere with this, and just by arguing, you're making things worse. And so apparently, after the cops have been called, and after he is being hauled out in handcuffs, so he's now in the parking lot, getting ready to be put in the squad car to be driven to the Orange County Jail. At that point in time, he says, "Okay, okay, if you want to take my temperature, that's fine." And apparently, one of the police officers will do that at the jail. I was going to say <laughs> he's, the temperature will be taken one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. I think to get where he's going. Do you, when you see that, ha- I've never been around a like mass hysteria freakout moment like what I'm sure this looked like. Have you ever been around one before, like where someone oh, yeah. just lo- you have? Oh yeah. Do you know beforehand as a person who's not involved? Like, do you does it like build and build, or all of a sudden it's just at the times I have been around, and I, I'm thinking multiple occasions have been um, a couple times in, in airplane gates, you know, waiting to get on planes yeah. and stuff, and you you've seen, and this isn't this isn't COVID related, but it, it's yeah. like other things where people are. They're telling you you have to do this or you have to whatever, and it generally starts out. And you can see that there's kind of an argument that's kind of building, and then it kind of gets louder and louder. And you can, at least the times I've seen it, you you can tell like the person in authority, whether it's the the gate agent or or whatever, they're 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 trying to like get the people to back off, and they're just running in red, and it's getting progressively more agitated and i remember you, i've watched this a couple times and i'm thinking this just isn't going to end well <laughs> you know yeah and my other question would be has anyone ever screamed themselves into a better situation no. like a like an airport gate or a disney world restaurant it, right. does it ever work no it well right it's, it's what i always tell people it's some of my free legal advice from a recovering lawyer You see this happen all the time in encounters, citizen encounters with police officers because the the cop pulls somebody over for whatever. And, okay, there's two ways that you can play this. One is to comply and do whatever the officer says. Okay, give give him a license, whatever, and, and... then live to fight another day because because police officers make mistakes. Maybe, you know, maybe they weren't running radar right. Maybe you weren't speeding. Maybe your taillight wasn't out. Maybe, okay, maybe it was a BS stop, all those things. But you're going to have an opportunity at some point in time to, to make your case. You can show up in court. You can hire a lawyer, whatever. So you can go that route 
or you can cop an attitude and decide that you're going to escalate these things. And how many of these situations with police officers do you cover on the news? And I talk about all the time that it, it starts out as what we would describe as a routine encounter. And then the person just cops the attitude and the whole thing starts to escalate. And then next thing you know, instead of getting a ticket, you're out of the car and you're arguing with the police officer and you're in handcuffs and, and you're on the way down to the Huskal. Whereas if you would have just done what you were asked to have done, you would have had more than enough opportunities later on to explain why you were right and the officer who was stopping you was wrong. It's just one of those situations. Yeah, you're not going to scream yourself out of much. You, you, it, it, it rarely, <laughs> yeah. it rarely works. So this this guy and his name is is Kelly Sills. Um, he, his, he's, he's, he is. This is what I would define as being a felony jack wagon. You know, you just let them take your temperature and then move on. Okay, when we come back, I want to talk about the legacy of Barry Alvarez and a lot more. Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A year ago, the pandemic was taking hold. As we're laid off, the stock market plunged and investor confidence well, was low. As we recover, what will you do differently with your plan and your investments? Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management and WTMJ Steve Scafidi shared advice and tips during a special webinar, Investing in a Post-COVID World. If you missed the event and want to watch the recording or submit questions to Annex, all you have to do is visit the features page at WTMJ.com. I want to double back on, on something I, I talked to Mike Spaulding about earlier on in the program. And, and that's that that's these these kind of threatening phone calls. And I, I will go for about a week or two and, and not get any. And then all of a sudden I, I get a ton of them. Now as I'm sitting here, I, I have my, my wife is hopping on a plane. She's coming back from uh, she's coming back from Florida today. So I, I've got my, my phone. It's turned off, but I, I'm in case you know something would happen with her flight or something. I, I, I want to I want to know. So in the course of the last hour and a half, I have gotten one, two, three, four separate voice messages that have been left to me for from these numbers that I, I don't. I, I don't recognize. And uh, during one of the breaks, I went back and listened to them. And, and they're all they're all variations of the same thing. Um, you there has been a charge on your to your visa card on your Amazon account of nine cents. If you made this, you could ignore it. Otherwise, hit two. Now, of course, we, we all know that one of the big ways that people if, if they've got a stolen credit card number, one of the things that they always do is you, you, you charge like like you buy a soda to see if the card works. And then if it works, then what the thieves do is they go out and they try to, like, charge plane tickets to Italy or something like that. So I've got one call like that. I've got two other calls that tell me that I, I can't tell the beginning. I can't tell what it's I've done, but I'm going to be arrested for, for something, and I'm in all sorts of legal trouble unless I, I hit – nine and, and call them back but it but it's all a variation of this i've gotten four four in the last hour or maybe hour and a half you just while i'm sitting here doing the show I, i'm so I'm, I'm wondering if there's this cycle 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line now again my my reaction when i get this stuff is you 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 you, you know you you delete it 
you block the caller, but that doesn't matter because 10 minutes later you get another call that's coming in from a similar sort of number, but yet it's different and it's not blocked, and you keep going through this process. But I, I wonder if, if there's cycles. Is it just my turn in the barrel that this is where you're going to get all these numbers Um 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you getting a ton of these lately? I mean, um, 855-616-1620. Are, are, are you noticing more of these? Is this an ongoing problem? Is it a continuous problem? Or maybe this is just, like I say, it, it's just kind of my turn. But what frustrates me, and what I was saying in the last hour we were talking about this, is you know one of the reasons they do it is that there is... Maybe you make a million of these calls, and everybody but one person just does what most of us do, which is delete the thing. But one person says, "Oh my gosh, I, somebody! I didn't, I didn't charge nine. I didn't buy anything from Amazon for nine cents and put it on my Visa card. So here, I'm, I'm going to hit this this number, and next thing you know, you're completely and totally off to the races. And I guess from the perspective of these scammers, all, all you need is is one person out of a hundred thousand especially if you're doing all these computer-generated stuff, all you need is one person out of 100,000 to respond, and you're able to rip those people off. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Um, Jeff, um, press one to speak to the human being, then let them suffer in silence. It wastes their time, and then they ultimately take you off the list. Jeff, I got one exactly like you're describing today. Gary in Portage. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How you doing this uh, afternoon? Well, I'm getting I'm getting a little irritated with all these these robocalls telling me I'm going to be arrested. I might be arrested, but I don't think it's for some of the things they're saying. Well, one of the things that makes me feel a little bit better about those is uh, every once in a while, if i got a little extra time, I actually will answer the call, and uh, I hit the number with, gets me to talk to a human being and i carry a whistle with me and <laughs> when the person comes on the line i blast the uh the phone uh. with the whistle and i blast them right out of their headset it's uh <laughs> It doesn't get me off the list, but it makes me feel a little bit. Well, better. and and thanks for calling, Gary. And I get it. There, that's that's all about that's all about feeling better. Jeff, two weeks ago, here's a text. I received 14 calls within two hours about my Apple account being compromised. Yeah, I would say the last time I, I was kind of in the barrel of getting a bunch of these. That that's what the thing was. Your your Apple account has been compromised, and I'm trying to think. Do I have an Apple account? Yeah, I guess I, I maybe do. Jeff, I love those calls, and if they were not so obviously a call room overseas and I could not mess with them, I would ignore it. But I think it is so much fun making them a mad, making them mad. All my accounts are, are open, and I can check my, my apps. Yeah, let's, I mean, there, there are ways... There are ways that credit card companies, for example, communicate to you if there is a suspicious charge, but this this typically isn't um, one of them. Jeff, this happens a lot. Even if you block the number, they call back with a number number, uh, with another number. Hey, Jeff, I'm with you. I'm also in legal trouble according to the messages I keep receiving. You know, well, I think a lot of us might be in the same boat. Um, Jeff, I am... 68 today. I am 68. Today, every day, I get at least three to seven scam-likely calls. I think it has been worse lately. 
Um, Jeff, if you open respond to these texts or emails, then they know the number is a working account. Well, that's the last thing you want to do is encourage this. Jeff, um, I uh, this is from Mike in Marquette, Michigan. I received several messages from Amazon saying, congratulations, I won things like a gift card or my order is out for delivery. No matter how many times I block the numbers, they seem to change the area code. And the name. Yeah, well, again, buyer beware because there's a lot of this going on. If, if you're – I'm not kidding. I just got another one. <laughs> it's, if, it's just if, – if you're getting a lot of these, we're all in the same boat together. My response, my recommendation, again, is just, just don't give them the time of day because – and certainly don't answer them and give them any sort of information which could give them access to your credit cards or your bank accounts. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.